Welcome to our Frontline City Church podcast. This message will activate and inspire you in the supernatural love of God to find your purpose and reach your destiny through Christ. something that somebody posted on Facebook and it just touched me very, very deeply. So I want you to listen. He received 39 stripes because 40 was known to kill a man. They wanted him alive. They held handfuls of his beard and hair and pulled it out by the roots. They wanted him alive. They kicked punched and spat on him for hours until there wasn't a single spot on his body not covered in blood. They wanted him alive. They shoved a crown of thorns down on his head so harshly it stuck deep into his skin. They wanted him alive. After hours of being beaten, mocked, whipped, flogged and tortured, They made him walk with a cross. They made him carry it. A rough piece of wood with splinters digging into fresh wounds. They wanted him alive. They wanted him to feel every ounce of pain they could bring. He had to feel it in order to heal us. Crucifixion was historically one of the cruelest and most tortured deaths a human being could face. They wanted him alive to feel this. Hours upon hours of torture. Torture most of us could not mentally think of because the cruelty isn't normal. It isn't something our minds can comprehend. They wanted him alive. We celebrate Easter with pastel colors, happy children hunting eggs and chocolate. Truth is, there was absolutely nothing happy about that day that Jesus died. It was cruel, it was bloody and very nasty. He could have stopped it all. He could have called every angel in heaven to demolish every person standing and shouting, crucify him. He didn't. He didn't. He knew in order to have a Sunday, you have to have a Friday. He knew in order to have joy, you have to carry your cross. He felt everything that day. He felt everything that day. He felt how your heart broke wide open when you had to watch your baby die. He felt how heavy your life was when you were staring down the barrel of a gun, wondering if the man you called husband was going to shoot you. He carried the weight of the burden you have felt since your spouse died. And left you. And life doesn't doesn't seem right. On the cross, he held the rapists, the murderers, the sinners, and the saint. He leveled every playing field and said, all of you are worth it. 
He knew he had to carry the cost, the cross. He never promised the cross you carry in this life would not be heavy. His was heavy. His promise is Sunday's coming. No matter how heavy Friday is, financially, emotionally, mentally, or physically, Friday is heavy. Life is weighing you down, and you might feel you're about to crumble under its weight. His promise simply was this. He won't make you walk it alone. What kind of king would step down from heaven, from his throne for this? Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God did for you. For you. For you. He did every bit of it for you and me. Yes, life is heavy. So heavy sometimes you do not think you can take one more step. But look up. Sunday's coming. I want to declare to you, Sunday is here. Sunday is here. Amen. Amen. Don't worry. It's not. God's good. So I'm going to do a bit of a different sermon today. I'm going to read you the word. I'm going to read you the word and explain a little bit of it. Is that cool? Don't look so serious. Still somebody, it's going to get good. Amen. I want to read to you from John 19. And from I'm going to read from verse 17 to 24. And I'm reading from the Passion Translation because it just reads so nicely. Jesus carried his own cross out of the city to the place called the Skull, which in, in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And there they nailed him to the cross. He was crucified along with two others, one on each side with Jesus in the middle. Pilate had them post the sign of the cross, which was written in three languages, Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. Most of the people of Jerusalem read the sign, for he was crucified near the city. The sign stated, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. But the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, You must change the sign. Don't let it say King of Jews. Rather, let it say he claimed to be the King of the Jews. Pilate responded, What I've written will remain. And I paused here a little bit and I thought, Why are the chief priests making such an issue? about the sign. So I did a bit of research. You know, in the Passover, when, when we all know the story of the Passover, they had to bring the lamb to be sacrificed for their family so that for a year they wouldn't have sin. And then they would go for the next year and then sacrifice the spotless lamb again. They used to hang a sign around the, 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 that family's lamb that was going to be sacrificed to identify a specific family. When the Romans did crucifixion, they hung a sign around to claim what the criminal's crime was. It was written around them, either around their neck or placed on the cross above the head. Okay, so now let me tell you something interesting. On the sign was written, King of the Jews, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And in those times, when they wrote those words, they would 
always look and see what was written and then take the first letters of each of those words um, in, in the Hebrew and the Aramaic and see what it spelt. What was the hidden meaning? The words written above Jesus was Yeshua, Hanozira, Humelech, Ah Yehidim, Yahweh. Yahweh. Yahweh was the name that God revealed himself to Moses. Yahweh. It was the name that is so spoken in holy terms by the Jews. People wouldn't say the name easily. Yahweh. And Yahweh was written above his cross, showing that he comes from Godhood. That is part of God's family. He is the son of God. That's why the chief priests were so upset. Because the very cross was declaring who God is. I just thought that was pretty awesome. And then the, when, now when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they divided up his clothes into four shares, one of them each. But his tunic was seamless, woven from the top to the bottom as a single garment. Two things. It's very expensive. He didn't wear rubbish. And it was a sign of the priesthood. Jesus is our royal priesthood. Amen. So the soldiers said to each other, don't tear it. Let's throw dust to see who gets it. The soldiers did all this, not knowing they were fulfilling the scripture that says, they divided my garments among them and gambled for my clothing. Amen. Listen, just read the Bible. It's so good. Jesus knew that his mission was accomplished. And to fulfill the scripture, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting nearby. So they soaked a sponge with it and put it on the stalk of hyssop and raised it on to his lips. Hyssop was a kind of plant uh, 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 that they used to, like a spongy kind of thing. It was the same thing they used to paint the door, the blood over the doorposts when the spirit of death came in Egypt. Okay, interesting. When he had sipped the sour wine, he said, it is finished, my bride. Then he bowed his head and surrendered his spirit to God. The Jewish leaders did not want the bodies of the victims to be remained on the cross through the next day. So it was a day of preparation for a very important Sabbath. So they asked Pilate's permission to have the victims' legs broken to hasten their deaths and their bodies taken down before sunset. So the soldiers broke the legs of the two men who were nailed there. But when they came to Jesus, they realized he had really died. And they decided not to break his legs. On the cross, when you hung there and you were nailed, every breath you took, you had to stretch your legs to try and breathe. And when they broke the legs, you couldn't stretch yourself to get air anymore. And that hastened the death. When they came to Jesus, they realized he had already died. So they decided not to break his legs. But one of the soldiers took a spear and pierced Jesus aside and blood and water gushed out. Blood and water gush out when it's a, there's been incredible traumatic suffering. 
as well as interesting. When a woman gives birth, there's blood and water. Jesus was depicting a new birth. The Bible is so cool. There's so much. And then in verse 35, I, John, did testify to the certainty of what took place. I write the truth so that you might also believe. For all these things happened to fulfill the scriptures. Not one of his bones will be broken. And they will gaze upon the one who is pierced. So I want to ask you quickly, why the resurrection? Why is it so important that we as Christians understand why we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you eight points and I suggest you take notes, okay? Number one, the resurrection proves Jesus' sinless character and proves he is divine. The Bible says God's Holy One would never see corruption. That's Psalms 16 verse 10. Number two, because of the resurrection, we are free from the death of the impossibility of keeping the Ten Commandments. You can't keep the Ten Commandments. But because of Jesus, the Ten Commandments are written on your heart. It's not a law anymore. Acts 13 verse 38 to 39 in the Amplified Bible says, So let it be clearly known to you, brothers, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him everyone who believes, listen to this, who acknowledges Jesus as Lord and Savior and follows him. Are you listening? It's not just saying he is Lord, but it's saying he's Lord and Savior and you follow him. Then you are justified and declared free of guilt from all things from which you could not be justified and freed of, be freed of guilt through the law of Moses. Okay? We couldn't keep the Ten Commandments. That's why Jesus came and died. So that we can know what it's like to be free and walk in love. Number three, the resurrection also validates all Old Testament prophecies that foretold of Jesus' suffering and resurrection. I just read you a whole lot about it. It confirms the truth of the Bible. Job, in the book of Job 19 verse 25, he writes, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at last he will stand upon the earth. Number four, if Jesus Christ is not resurrected, then we have no hope that we will one day be resurrected as well. Number five, if Jesus Christ was not resurrected, then we have no Savior, no salvation, and no hope of eternal life. As Paul said, our faith would be useless. The gospel would be powerless and our sins would remain unforgiven. And we would be the biggest fools ever. Jesus said in number six, I am the resurrection 
and the life. John 11 verse 25. Jesus gives more than life. He is life itself. Don't just exist. Live life in Jesus. Seven. Every other religion was started by man or prophets who all died. Their tombs are still there, still closed. As believers, we know the grave could not hold him. He lives and he sits today at the right hand of the Father. When Jesus rose from the grave, he walked with people, he talked with people. There's so much evidence historically that this happened. There's more evidence historically about Jesus rising from the grave, being witnessed by countless people, by even those that didn't believe in him, by groups at a time. There's so much evidence of that. More evidence than Napoleon Bonaparte ever existed. More evidence than Hitler. Come on, guys. Come on, guys. The Bible is more true than what we know. Its validity is real. Historically proven. And number eight. Resurrection is victory for every believer. Because Jesus Christ died, was buried and rose the third day. He made a promise. He said, I'm coming again. The dead in Christ will be raised and those who are alive at his coming will be changed and receive new glorified bodies. If Jesus Christ comes back today, if you have Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior and you don't have sin in your life, you're not following a lifestyle of sin, you're following him. If he comes back in a split second, faster than you can blink, everybody blink, Okay, you'll leave your earthly bodies behind. And if you died in Christ, you will be caught up. Your body will be resurrected into new glorious bodies. Come on, guys. There's a day coming when the trumpet's going to sound. And I want to be found ready. I don't want to be left behind. Amen. John 20 verse 1 to 14 in the Passion. Very early Sunday morning before sunrise, Mary Magdalene made her way to the tomb. And when she arrived, she discovered that the stone that sealed the entrance to the tomb was moved away. So she went running as fast as she could to go tell Peter and the other disciples, the one that Jesus loved. Now, John is writing this, but he writes about it like he's in the third person. He calls himself the one that Jesus loved, okay? She told him, They've taken the Lord's body from the tomb, and we don't know where he is. Then Peter and the other disciples jumped up and ran to the tomb to go see for themselves. They started out together, but the other disciple, John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He didn't enter the tomb, but he peeked in, and he saw only the linen cloths lying there. Then Peter came behind him and went right into the tomb. Typical Peter being so forward, you know. Peter went right into the tomb. He too noticed that the linen cloth lying there, but the burial cloth that had been on Jesus' face and head had been rolled up and 
folded and placed separate from the other cloths. And I stopped there and I thought, why on earth would they emphasize such a small detail? So this is the culture at that time. All right? When the master was eating and the servant would be standing waiting, if the master wiped his face and took the cloth and crumbled it up and then threw it there, it meant he's finished. But if the master got up from the table and he folded the cloth and put it there at the head, it, depict, it depicted, don't move the stuff, I'm coming back. Wow. That very cloth said that Jesus Christ is coming back. Yeah. That's exciting. We have a hope. In every verse in the Bible, don't just read it. Read it. Ask God to show you the deeper meanings. Come on. That's exciting. I'm excited about that. Okay. He too noticed that the linen cloth lying there, but the burial cloth had been on Jesus' head, had been rolled at other versions, say folded up and placed separate from the other cloths. He's coming back. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb, the tomb first went in, that's John, and after one look, he believed. But until then, they hadn't understood the scriptures that prophesied that he was destined to rise from the dead. Puzzled, Peter and the other disciples then left and went back to their homes. Mary arrived back at the tomb, broken and sobbing. She stooped to peer inside, and through her tears, she saw two angels in dazzling white robes, sitting where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the feet. Why? Why one angel at the head? Why one angel at the feet? Because at the altar, where they used to sacrifice, there was a cherubim at the head and a cherubim at the feet. Same with the Ark of the Covenant. And so in the final setting, the angel at the head and the angel at the feet depicted that the final sacrifice of Jesus' life had been done. Dear woman, why are you crying, they ask. Mary answered, they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they've laid him. Then she turned around to leave and there was Jesus standing in front of her. But she didn't realize it was him until he spoke. I want to tell you there, the presence of Jesus is here and he's about to talk to some of you. He's about to talk to some of you. Then I want to skip a little bit to John 20, verse 19 to 23. That evening, the disciples gathered together. And because they were afraid of reprisals from the Jewish leaders, they all locked the doors. Can you imagine? Somebody they followed and gave their heart and soul. They left their jobs, everything to follow him. And he got crucified like a criminal. And then his body's God. Can you imagine their fear? Can you imagine how they felt? They hurt, their disillusion. But suddenly, everybody say suddenly. Suddenly, Jesus had appeared among them and said, peace be to you. You know, I love this. The Jesus we serve is supernatural. 
He's not some wussy hanging on a cross. He's strong and he's powerful. He is strong and powerful. And you know what? He can walk through walls. He's a superhero. Listen, Superman and all these dudes, Marvel guys, have nothing on Jesus Christ. Okay? You can see I'm a sci-fi fan. I see everything in sci-fi pictures. I love the Bible. It's so good. Suddenly, Jesus appeared among them and said, Peace to you. Say to the person next to you, Peace to you. Then he showed them the wounds on his hands and his side. They were overjoyed to see the Lord with their own eyes. Jesus repeated his greeting, Peace to you. And he told them, Just as the Father has sent me, now I'm sending you. Okay? Then taking a deep breath, he blew on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. That blowing on them was exactly the same as when he blew, that word was the same word to use when he he breathed life into Adam. And he breathed on them again, depicting the new life, getting born again. Then taking a deep breath, he blew on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. I send you to preach the forgiveness of sins. Family, you've got to go and preach just the forgiveness of sins. And people's sins will be forgiven them. But if you don't proclaim the forgiveness of their sins, they will remain guilty. We've got to go out there with a message that Jesus loves people and he forgives them and he can set them free. We hope that you enjoyed today's message. Our services are streamed live on our Facebook page every Sunday morning at 9.30. For more information and resources, please go to our website www.frontlinecitychurch.co.za or look us up on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube.